I get carried away, no. In fact, I was waiting for you to bust out a lead that like uh, caused smoke to come off your guitar because you're capable. He says that I get a little carried away. Ooh. All right, come on, palms heavenward again. His presence changes everything. Lord, we filled this park with praises. We ask for spontaneous miracles here. We ask for healing, deliverance, salvation. Spirit of God, nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too difficult. No sickness, no disease, no quandary. No hard heart, relational stress and strain, financial need. It's all so simple for you. You're so loving and so powerful. You're our God. We're your people. Move among us today, Lord, in a supernatural way. So when you're going through, uh, uh, you can grab a seat right there or wherever. And um, Mark's going to come up and bring the word here in just a few minutes. And we're going to do uh, small breakout groups of four or five people in a group if you want to. Mark's got a great word in that little small group afterward is going to be really powerful. He's got some questions for us to process through. It's going to be uh, a really impactful uh, discussion prayer group. He'll explain it to you when he comes up in a minute. I want to say that when you're going through, when we're going through difficult, difficult times, like many are, I know our family is, I know many of you are. Um, the scripture that says that God Sometimes, uh, especially after passion, the longs I have and going through things myself and other people going through things, uh, the question is, you know, where's the goodness of God? And I like what my wife said one time as she was battling through her cycles of chemo and feeling uh, disoriented, discouraged. She said, I have found that you have to look for the goodness of God sometimes. If you pay attention, you'll see him in the small things. He is so personal, and he's so in the details that we can miss him. Um, here's one example. So with all we're already going through as a people and what my family's already battling and going through and having, you know, five teenagers at home and then my wife going through, going through and, and, uh, and Miss Brenda and all of us together uh, going through this season, then SDG&A is turning the power off because uh, of the high winds and they want to stop, you know, f fires, which is understandable. But man, we did not need that on top of everything else. You know, isn't it amazing? Like when the electricity gets shut off, you then start to realize how much we depend on electricity. Like things you go to do that just aren't available anymore, right? Kids getting up for school and, you know, I can't even, you can't even toast the muffin or a, a, a um, what are those things called? Yeah, yeah, bagel. Before you go to school, can't have the coffee. You know, just basic things that aren't, aren't there for you. Of course, the phones are dying. Nobody's alarmed went off. All of that. And it's going to, for a couple of days. Okay, but here's the thing. This is where you see God in the details. The night before that happened, 
uh, Pastor Josh, who's in um, on the East Coast right now visiting family, he said, uh, you know, we really should buy a generator instead of renting one for our church services. I said, great, pick one up, man. And so that was on that day he picked one up, but he wanted to drop it off at our house because he's headed out of town. So he drops off a generator at our house on the very night that they decide they're going to shut the power off. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. That's so crazy. He's so good. See, now you can look at that and you can say, wow, what a coincidence. Or if you know God and that he's a precious father, he's attentive to our needs. You see, man, the Ator household is going to need a generator. In fact, Hope was on the phone. She said, man, if we just had a generator. That's what she said to me. And I said, oh, my gosh, we have one in the garage. She said, what? <laughs> Josh dropped off a generator in our garage before you left town. She's like, you've got to be kidding me. So, Father, thank you so much that you were in the details. And it's those small things in the midst of crisis that we can see you. I pray for everyone here, everyone watching online, everyone going through a hard time right now. Lord, I pray that our eyes would be open to find you, to find your goodness in the midst of desperation and struggle because you promised to be there with us. Amen. Well, hey, uh, we, um, amen. Thank you, Shelly. Well, well, thank you, Jesus. And thank you for helping me learn how to run a generator that was part of the miracle um yeah so if you want to give uh you can there's a basket over here on the uh on the uh guest table that you can uh give an offering in one of the envelopes you can also give online gatheringplacechurch.org you can give by texting 84321 uh so pastor mark's going to come and he's going to bring the word for us today as i said and um he's gonna the, the word he's bringing i know is um i've heard it before and he uh, sent me a sermon I read it, it is going to really help it's such a prophetic word in a time like this, do you know the word to preach means to flow down like water and so as Mark begins to speak to us the Holy Spirit is going to flow through him let's keep our spiritual ears open let's keep our hearts open and let this word go into us because there's, there's nothing more powerful on the earth than the gospel and we're his people and as we open ourselves up, it's going to go in and we're going to leave this place empowered to be the salt and light of the world. So let's welcome Pastor Mark as he comes and brings the word today. Yes, yes, I do. Yes, I do, comedy. Set you up, man. That's nice. Fire still? Yeah, that's good. No, that's really good. Really good. Got to fix the beard. You guys that wear face, you wear the masks, and you don't have beards. You have no idea how how awkward this can be. It's like you have hat head. I have mask beard. There we go. You're beautiful, Mark. You're deluded, Rick. But I like it. Well, um, little things like little things like speaking in a windstorm 
Jerry's got these. Uh... No, this is good. What are these? these are called clothespins, right? Clothespins? Yes. Clothespins. Yeah. He had some, so I'm stealing one of them. There's more. Oh, yeah. Great. Well, this message was going to be given last Sunday, but circumstances arose that meant it was better for us to stay at home than it was to come out. We had a bit of a COVID scare, but that's all it was. The person we were exposed to who was exposed to someone else with COVID, they had their test done, not in time for Sunday, but they had their test done and it was negative, which is really good news. So us and everyone else that was at that uh, birthday party had a great sigh of relief. So this was supposed to be last Sunday, which would have been Thanksgiving. And the name of the message is Serving Wine, W-H-I-N-E, Serving Wine with Your Thanksgiving. So this is a message about complaining. And probably the very first thing you're going to think is that he's going to tell us we shouldn't be complaining. Isn't that what you grew up with? Stop complaining. Don't dwell in the negative. Don't talk about these negative things. In fact, there's a whole faith teaching that says that when you say anything negative, you attract more of it onto yourself. They call it negative confession. But uh, I'm going to talk about the opposite. God wants us to complain. Seriously. Complaining has a place in the kingdom of God. The book of Psalms was Israel's worship liturgy. It is the form that they use to worship God. And when we read the Psalms, we're seeing how God taught Israel to worship. And not just the form, but the substance. Throughout church history, Psalms have been our worship form. You know, have you ever noticed the songs that we sing, how many of those songs come from the Psalms, the lyrics? Maybe you don't read the Psalms enough to know, but a whole lot of the songs that we sing come from the Psalms. This is God's intent. God is giving us the Psalms to show us how to worship. So what can we learn from the Psalms that we don't already know? Well, here's one thing. Here's a shocker, guys. Seriously. There are almost four times more Psalms of lament than there are Psalms of thanksgiving. More often, Israel comes to God to worship him with a complaint and something wrong in their community, in their lives, than something to be thankful for. And God allows that. Not only does he allow that, he actually encourages it. But it has to be done the right way. If you read the story of Israel, there was a time when the people were complaining about the menu. They were unhappy with the uh, manna from heaven. They, although it was perfectly nutritious and got them by, it always tasted the same every day. And they found themselves complaining about the menu. Have, have you uh, ever prepared a dish for your family and they complained about it? You don't really take that complaint in a very good way. When they complained to God about uh, the menu, he caused a fire to come on the camp and 20,000 of them died. So, you, so, so I'm sitting here saying God expects us to complain and the uh, record seems to suggest that he doesn't deal with complaining very well. The fact is he does deal with it well. He encourages it, but it has to be done the right way, in the right spirit. So how do you do it the right way? How do we get a right to complain? 
How do we know he wants to hear our complaints? What is God's deepest desire for you? What? Our growth, our maturity. Your maturity, but in the context of what? Yeah, he wants us to grow and he wants us to mature, but what's his heart's desire for us? That we would be in relationship with him. That we would be in relationship with him. See, guys, he's not striving for your moral perfection. He's not striving for a, a, a change of your behavior. He's not in the behavior modification business. The business that he's in is having a relationship with you. Now, let me ask you a question about a relationship. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone that every time you asked them how they were doing, they said, fine. But their dog just died and they lost their job. And you say, how are you doing? And they say, fine. I heard your wife just left you and your whole body broke out in a blue rash. How are you doing? Fine. How deep does your relationship go with someone who's not being real with you? You're not really having a relationship at all. You're having an acquaintanceship. Your relationship with someone only goes as deep as you are honest with them. Is that a fair statement to make? Mm -hmm. See, in relationship, we reveal ourselves. We allow the other person to step inside our world and understand who we really are, what we're really living with, how we think, how we feel, what drives us. If you don't go deep, you don't have a relationship. So, so God basically says, come to me and tell me how you're doing. And our life is in the toilet, and we say, fine, you're wonderful, you're God, life is great. We're not being honest to ourselves, we're not being honest to him. We're not deepening the relationship with him. A relationship is only as deep as it is honest. And God wants a deep and honest relationship with you. But there's another reason why he wants you to complain. AA has this wonderful saying, I've quoted it more times than I can remember because it speaks a great truth to me. AA says this, you are only as sick as the secrets you keep. It's profound. What you, listen, this is important. What you choose to keep hidden in the dark place inside of you and not bring it into the light of your relationship with God, whatever you choose to keep hidden in the dark becomes a resource for that which lives in the dark. Yeah, that's good, Mark. Say that again. Whatever you choose to keep hidden inside of you and you will not bring it into the open in your own consciousness or in the presence of God, whatever you keep in the dark becomes a resource for that which lives in the dark. God doesn't have access to anything inside of you if you don't welcome him in. God is not an abuser. He doesn't force his way into our hearts. He doesn't force his way into our minds. He chooses not to lead us through command, but through influence and love. Therefore, he must be invited in. And the things we keep in the dark, he can't fix. Not that he doesn't have the power to. He won't use the power to overwhelm your will. If you choose to keep it hidden, it will stay hidden until you bring it out. Then he has access to it to heal it. 
So this thing AA got a hold of, you're only as sick as the secrets you keep, is flat out one of the most profound truths you can ever understand. Because what you bring into the light ends up being healed by the light. Gosh, guys, COVID, what an illustration. You know why they tell us to, stay, to be outside? Because of the ultraviolet rays of the sun right now, which when that virus is exposed, if, if you had the world's deadliest virus on your hands right now, and you brought it out into the light and waited about a minute, that virus would be thoroughly dead. But if you keep your hand closed and you put it in your pocket, you can hold it in there all day and then you can go like this and before you know it, you're going to die. What comes into the light is healed by the light. What stays in the dark is used by darkness to overwhelm your life. Good, Mark. The things that you refuse to express are the things that gain control over you and ultimately hurt you. This is true for every negative emotion. Listen, here's a proof text for you. This one's very profound, frightens me. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down. <laughs> Keep it in the light. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold in your life. The negative emotions we won't deal with become a resource for the devil in our life. It's a place for him to stand. He Look, he has a right to be in the dark. It's his environment. If we don't deal with their negative emotions, they will deal with us. When we don't process these things quickly, we give the devil a place to stand in our heart. And look, he doesn't just stand there neutral. He goes to work. He begins using those unconfessed shame, the, the self-hate, the disappointment, the anger. He begins using it as something that he can twist and manipulate and damage your life, your, your emotional health, your psyche. He can go to town on that and he has full right to do it because you haven't exposed it to the light and you haven't brought it into God's presence. Anger, unforgiveness, unforgiveness, oh Lord. Drinking poison, hoping that by drinking the poison you'll damage the person that hurt you. It's insanity. These are the tools that he uses to dismantle our life. So God, God knows that we need to express these negative emotions. And he's pleased to hear them, really, honestly. He's pleased to hear them. John, last week, John said, and this is so true, God is the only person you're safe being negative with because he doesn't get sick of hearing it. See, he's, he's infinitely patient. He can absorb whatever you throw at him. His whole purpose is to know you better and love you. So he doesn't say, okay, I can't stand it anymore. Please, please go away. Your, your friends will say that to you. Because they're human. They only have a limited capacity a capacity for absorbing negative things. Your husband will say that to you. Your wife will say that to you. Your brothers or sisters will say that to you. Your counselor will say that to you. God will never say that to you. Because he has an infinite ability to absorb your negative thoughts, to process them with you, and to help you overcome them. People have a limit. God doesn't. 
People will eventually pull away from us if we complain too much. God won't. He doesn't like it when we complain poorly. There's a good way to complain and there's a bad way to complain. He doesn't enjoy the bad ways that we complain, but he puts up with it, hoping that we'll stumble into the good ways to complain. Complaining done right actually deepens your relationship with God. So how do we do it right? Well, we go back to the Psalms. Four times, almost four times as many psalms of lament as psalms of thanksgiving. So what you see when you study them, and I did, because I wanted to understand this, I studied the, all the psalms of lament. They have a common flow. They have a common form. There is actually a liturgy within the liturgy of how to complain to God properly. And when we know that and do it, it sets you free. So, here are the elements in their typical order. They're not always in this order, but all of these are found within a psalm of lament, and I put them in the order that's most common to the psalms of lament. And I'm prepping you now for the exercise that we're inviting you to do in a couple minutes, where we'll break up, take your phones, go through these six stations of the psalms, <laughs> that just came to me. Stations of complaint. We'll go through these one at a time, thinking them through, and write down what your what your portion is going to be under these headings. And when you're done, you've written your own psalm of lament, dealing with the things that matter most to you. The first one is the address. The psalm always starts with saying something about who God is. So the question in the address is, who is God to you right now? There's so many things you could call him. You could say creator of the universe. You could say eternal source of truth. You could say fountain of wisdom. You could say savior, great physician, father, master. Who is God to you as you're addressing him? And I'm going to give you a little hint. How you address him says everything about how you understand him. It's, you know, the address isn't, dear sir, like we do a letter. The address is really, how do I see God as I'm communicating with him? Who is he to me in the depth of my being, in the middle of my trouble? Who is God to me? So think about who you're talking to. Who is he to me? That's the address. It's always God. But God has a lot of different functions and a lot of different names. So let that be a part of what your address is. The next is the complaint. Right away, get real. The psalmist pours out his heart with a completely honest explanation of what the trouble is. He doesn't, he doesn't gloss it over and say, well, you know, I'm a little bit annoyed by this, but it's really not that serious. No, he says, this really matters to me. I'm surrounded by enemies. I'm so tired of running. My tongue cleaves to the roof of my mouth. My bones hurt. I'm weary. I can't take this anymore. A completely honest explanation of what the trouble is. And look, it's emotional, okay? It's not, it's not just, here's a couple of reasons why I'm upset. No, these are my emotions. This is why I'm upset. This is what I'm feeling right now, God. We tend to gloss over the emotions, but... The emotions are the color of our lives. Reason is kind of black and white. It's like a pencil drawing. But when you take the colors and you put it onto that page, the whole 
picture drawing comes to life. Emotions are the color, they matter. So be emotional, tell them the truth. Then after the complaint, there's a statement of trust. And this is where things get helpful. Having just complained, the psalmist immediately expresses trust in God to hear and answer his prayer. I know you're listening. I know if I can get to you, if I can come into your presence, if I can come into your tabernacle, I'm going to find you and you're going to listen to me. And you're going to say something or do something that makes a difference to me. So he begins by an expression of trust. You hear in your answer. And the answer is not always the one we anticipated or what we wished. And the timing may not be either. But we're honest about what we're going through. And guys, right now, in the middle of this pandemic, with all the trouble that's happening in our lives, friends that have just died, we can't pretend that doesn't hurt. We can't pretend it's not happening, because it is. This is a crisis time for everybody. The turmoil in our country, the confusion, the fear. So an expression of trust. Now, interestingly, I don't know why, but just having complained and then an expression of trust, there's a cry out for deliverance. God, we, like we're praying before the service, the word breakthrough keeps coming up over and over and over again. God, we need a breakthrough. God, I need a breakthrough. There's a cry for deliverance. He cries out to God to deliver him again. And he does it with genuine emotion. It's not a mumbled, oh, God, it'd be nice for a breakthrough. It's breakthrough. God, I need a breakthrough. You're the God of breakthrough. I need you. Have you ever called out in the middle of the night and said that? I need you. I need you right now. I need you right now. So many of my prayers in the last year have been in a panic in the middle of the night. God, I need you right now. You have to say something to me. I need your peace. You've got to say something to me. I will not make it if you don't. Fortunately, he has. It's a genuine cry for deliverance. And then, just like there was an expression of trust, the fifth one is another expression of assurance. It's similar to the expression of trust. It's expressing an assurance, God, you're going to get me through this. You're going to bring deliverance. I don't know when it's going to come exactly, how it's going to come, but I'm trusting you. You're going to do it. I'm making a statement of faith, and I need to make it for my own good. Because I need to say it one more time. You're my God. You're my Father. You're good. You're going to get me through this. Somehow you're going to do it. And I'm trusting you for that. And then the sixth. You know, the fifth is the but God, dot, 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 but God, dot, dot, dot. But God, you're going to act. I'm putting my faith in you. You are going to act. You're going to see us through this. And we're going to come out the other side better people than we went into it. That's the but God portion. Number six, they always end. You see this in David's Psalms. I mean, he's, he's in trouble. Everybody in the kingdom's trying to kill him. He's been hunted for over a year by all the king's horses and all the king's men. And he's hiding out in a cave with a bunch of losers. And in the middle of all of that, he ends with, and I praise you. 
and he lifts up his hands and he praises and he worships and he thanks God for what he's done in the past. He thanks God for what he's doing in the present, and he thanks God for the promises God's made for his future. He ends with worship. He ends with praise. He completes the process. Does this make sense? Any questions before we do the exercise? Okay, do you want to do the exercise? Could our leaders who are going to lead these groups uh, just stand up? Got Kobe with the youth, Shelly, Mark Myers, John. Mark, you're leading, you're not sure? If we need you, we'll call. Okay, so there's your leaders. There's Mark Myers and John and Shelly and Kobe, and I'm going to lead one as well. So grab your chairs, and we've got some uh, shade structures. Cluster around with one of these leaders if you want to do it, and um, we'll go through it. And you're going to write your own psalm of lament. Okay? Let's do it.